Hey guys, welcome back to Sarah Says, the weekly podcast with me, Sarah, CEO and Chief Scrunchy Enthusiast over at Sockbun Studios, talking about whatever it is that's on my mind. This week, look, it really threw me for a loop here, and I really had to work my way around this for the timeline purposes, but we're going to do a Benedict-only podcast this time, but then... The next podcast will be Colin, Eloise, and Francesca combined because guess what? Their story all happens at the same time. Absolutely shocked when I realized that. Like, I sat in silence for a moment halfway through Francesca's book when I realized this was occurring. So anyway, let's get into Benedict Bridgerton, his love story with Sophie Beckett, and like why I love it and why I hate it. You know, I was going to say that it's it's my least favorite, but honestly, like every single one that I read more and more, Daphne and Simon's is for sure the worst. <laughs> and then maybe Benedict's. I don't know. Let's get into it. Let's just jump right in here to an offer from a gentleman, Benedict's story. This would, I assume, be season three if... All goes well with season two because Shondaland does have the rights to make every book its own season. Although I just, I really think that Colin, Eloise, and Penelope, I'm sorry, Colin, Eloise, and Francesca, (laughs) and Penelope kind of, uh, could all be one season. Anyway, over to Benedict. We open the book, finally, not with a man being scarred (laughs) in some way by his father. Thank God. No, this time... The prologue is all about poor Sophie Beckett and how she is an illegitimately born child to the Earl of Penwood, whose name is Richard Gunningworth. She is left on his doorstep at the age of three by her grandmother, and he it takes her in. Now, I have my qualms with the Earl of Penwood, but Okay, I'm just, I feel like, and this is, I feel like, how we have to approach Benedict's book. It's like, here's all of the good things, and then, like, subtract the bad things from it, and then we see where we come out on the end. Like, in the end, he comes out on the plus side, but, like, there's some negatives here in this one. Um, Same for the Earl of Pinwood. So, he takes Sophie in, obviously, because, you know, the status dictates uh he can't claim her as his so like I guess that we can't I guess we can't take that away from him although I kind of want to um but then he gets remarried when Sophie is 10 and this is so heartbreaking so up until this point Sophie has just been living at his country estate uh everyone knows that Sophie is actually his and not his ward uh that he just decided to take in no everyone knows that she's an illegitimately born child but um you know she's just been living her life he's clothed her fed her kept a roof over her head she's getting a great education her French is perfect I mean like those are things that like we appreciate in him he doesn't spend any time with her, though, doesn't really give her any affection whatsoever. And so, like, yeah, that's that's not great. But anyway, he gets remarried. And as his new wife, the Countess of Pinwood, and her two daughters show up, poor Sophie is left thinking, please let her love me. 
which just pulls out every single heartstring that you have. Um, unfortunately, Araminta, which is, I assume, how you say her name, is terrible. I mean, this is very Cinderella. This is just straight up basically Cinderella right now. Uh, Araminta and her two daughters, Posey and Rosamond. Rosamond is 11, Posey is 10, so same age as Sophie, um, are sort of, you know, evil stepsisters. Rosamond definitely is 100%. Posey wants to be kind to Sophie, wants to be her friend, but Araminta is like, no, because Araminta gives her one look and says, like, I don't want you around. I don't want you here. And to the Earl of Penwoods, um, you know, props. He's like, no, she's staying. She's, she's my quote unquote ward. Uh, you know, Araminta knows what's going on though. Four years go by and the Earl dies, just clutches his heart, dies, probably had a massive heart attack. Um, during the will reading, so Araminta never had his children in four years, uh, which was a great source of um, shame for her that she never got pregnant. So everything, you know, passes on to another cousin, another male um, uh, family member, I guess I should say. I'm not sure if he's cousin, whatever. Anyway, so at the will reading, the Earl of Pinwood, Sophie's father, has written in the will dowries for all three girls, Posey, Rosamond, which are not his, and then Sophie, which is, but he can't actually claim her. And he gives Araminta $2,000 a year, but she's like, that's it? That's all I get? And they're like, well, he'll bump it up. It says in here that he'll bump it up to 6000 a year, but only if you promise to keep Sophie at the house until she's 20. And Aramis is like, but I don't want her. And they're like, okay, well, like, you can live on 2000 She's like, absolutely not. Like, I'll take her. But Araminta goes to Sophie, doesn't tell her any of this, just says like, okay, uh, you now work for me. You're basically like my slave housemaid. And uh, she doesn't pay her, doesn't tell her she has a dowry, none of the above. Sophie just thinks that she's just been completely cast out, left aside. I mean, poor Sophie. I, I hate Araminta. Anyway, that's the prologue. That's poor Sophie Beckett's story. You just immediately, you're like, oh, I want the best for Sophie. We jump forward to May 31st, 1815. There is to be a masquerade ball. God, Violet Bridgerton throws the best parties. Violet is moving out of Bridgerton House. Anthony and Kate have been married for a year now. So so now we're opening it up and it's 1815. So that is two years after Daphne and Simon, one year after Anthony and Kate. So now here we have Benedict, 1815. And Violet is like, you know what? Anthony and Kate are starting their family. I'm going to leave Bridgerton House because that technically is Anthony's house as the Viscount. And she's getting ready to move into um, another house and, you know, take take Benedict, Colin, Eloise, Francesca, Hyacinth, Gregory, all of the, all of the rest of the children uh, to the other house. Uh, number five, number five, Brunton Street. Um, but before she goes, she's throwing this masquerade ball. The whole town is invited. Whistledown has written about it. Sophie has read Whistledown for all of these years because it has made it out to the, uh, has made it out to the country. And Araminta is there with 
uh, Rosie with Rosie with Rosamond and Posey. <laughs> That's probably not going to be the first time I say that. And they're all getting ready. And Sophie's like, oh, you know, I wish I could go. She says that out loud. And Rosamond's like, well, why would you wish for that? Like, you're not going. And Araminta's like, you know, how dare you even think that you should want to go? And Sophie's like, well, I didn't say I was. I just said that I wish that I could go. But as the girls leave, in their wicked ugh, ways, Posey is still, like, wants to be nice, but is really not allowed to be. Mrs. Gibbons, the housekeeper, pulls Sophie aside and she's like, you're going. <laughs> we found a trunk with the Earl of Pinwood's mother's old dresses. They find this beautiful, like, cream beige beaded gown with matching gloves. They give Sophie a bath, get her all dolled up. She has to borrow shoes from Araminta. And they're like, okay, here's the deal. The coach is going to drop you off, but then they have to be there to pick up the girls when they're ready to go. So you have until midnight. I mean, we, it's very Cinderella, first of all. Then we're going to add in the masquerade ball and it turns into a Cinderella story with Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray. I mean, like down to like the kind of dress that she wore and the Demi mask that's involved. And I get it because in actual Cinderella, well, Disney version, um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's also the Roger and Hammerstein uh, version, which, whew, where about that one time? Not Roger and Hammerstein. <laughs> the Crip Brothers. Oh, the Roger and Hammerstein version. It's with Brandy. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, okay. Um, I'm glad I got myself on that one. Anyway, where was I? Oh, I understand why in a Cinderella story. I Well, I get it. And I also, I, I still to this day, I'm like, how could you not realize she was Princeton girl? I mean, all she had on was a dimmy mask, for God's sake. Her hair still looked the same. Her voice still sounded the same. I mean, you talk to her at the diner for crying out loud. How could you not figure it out that she's Princeton girl? Anyway, I get it because in Disney Cinderella, Fairy Godmother puts, you know, like a, a cast a spell over her so no one recognizes her. So like I get it, but but anyway, anyway, um, I just feel like we've just totally gone off the rails here on this. But uh, yeah, this this just quickly becomes a <laughs> uh Regency era a Cinderella story, and obviously this was written before a Cinderella story. But I'm like I don't know. Did the writers of a Cinderella story read Julia Quinn's novel? <laughs> Were they out here reading an offer from a gentleman going, um, yeah, you know what? We would really love to find a way to, uh, take this, but then make it PG for the, for the kids. <laughs> Meanwhile, back to Benedict here. Actually, this is the first time we're seeing Benedict in this book. So, Benedict is at the masquerade ball and he is lamenting the fact that he's even there. He doesn't even want to be there because everyone's running into him and being like, ah, oh, number two. Yeah. What's your name again? I forget. Literally everyone, it's in alphabetical order. I mean, come the F on. Are we, for, really, are we that 
anyway. So he doesn't want to be there. Violet comes over to him at one point and is like, you need to go dance with Penelope. And he's like, I don't want to. And she's like, do it. <laughs> no one's dancing with her. Go do it. So he is on his way to dance with Penelope when he feels an energy change. And he turns around. There is Sophie at the top of the stairs coming down. Again, Cinderella, a Cinderella story moment. Absolutely no one knows who she is. So that makes her even more intriguing. She's stunningly gorgeous. And Benedict just like probably leaves. He just, sorry, Pen. He just leaves Penelope and goes to whisk away Sophie. They're talking out in a corridor and, you know, Sophie's not giving away any information. Colin comes out and he's like, I just had to go dance with Penelope because you just left. Then he sees Sophie and he's like, oh, hey, uh, can you do me a huge favor? Marry my brother. That way my mom gets off my back. I, I love Colin. He's my favorite. He's, I just, I do love him. Uh, and he's like the glue that holds everyone together because he literally shows up in all the stories. Anyway, Benedict whisks Sophie away to a private terrace to teach her how to dance because she's like, you know, I've never danced before. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he is trying to get information out of her. She's you know, not really budging on this uh, because because she's like, this this can never happen. Um, They kiss and I mean, and Benedict's like, where do you live? I want to come see where you live tomorrow. Like, I like, Benedict would have proposed right there on the spot. Like, he, he really would have. Uh, clock strikes midnight. She runs off. But what does he have in his hand? One glove. It's not a shoe, but it's a glove. Honestly, makes more sense than all of the missing shoes. Anyway, uh, also makes a lot more sense than a Cinderella story when it's the phone. I mean, like nowadays, you definitely need it. Um, yeah. Anyway, so next morning... He goes to Violet. Violet's like, yeah, where were you last night? I didn't like see you at all. What, what were you doing? What was going on? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, I have this glove. I promise nothing bad happened. And she's like, I have too many sons to believe that's that everything was innocent. Uh, <laughs> but she recognizes. So on the gloves were it was like a crest or an emblem or something dealing with the House of Penwood. And she immediately knows that it's Penwood. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> Because she thinks that it's about Araminta or Posey or Rosamond. And this, I just, look, I saw this great TikTok and it was like, these signs uh, claim to be the best at uh, having all of the tea. And I'm a Gemini with a Virgo moon. I am the CEO of receipts and also the CEO of fact checking. I have both of these things here. I need you to keep this clear, clear in your mind. This is what Violet Bridgerton says. Don't know what page it's on. Literally beginning of the book, though, she says, I would allow my children to marry paupers if it would bring them happiness. Just want to say that one more time. I would allow my children to marry paupers if it would bring them happiness. We're going to circle back to this, okay? We're going to circle back. Also, though, Violet Bridgerton can do no wrong. She can literally do no wrong. I love her. If I didn't have my mother, I would want Violet Bridgerton as my mother. Um, but then Violet's like, so, um, you know, barring a pauper, uh, do you think it's one of the pinwoods? And he's like, I don't know. He goes off, quickly realizes that it's it's not that. 
He's a little confused, though. Araminta catches him outside, though, with a glove. And she puts two and two together. She kicks Sophie out of the house. Do I turn the page? And then it says two years later. <laughs> I was like, I flipped back and forth between the page like, gotcha, I missed, I must have missed something here. No, no, no. This is the first of what will become several, several, several time jumps in time, which honestly makes sense. I mean, we had to do it at some point here because uh, like Gregory and Hyacinth were, you know, young at Daphne's book. Anyway, not the point. We're now in 1817, and Benedict is at a country house party thrown by uh, some guy named Cavender. Um, very much reminiscent of a house party, like, from the show, of which he was happy to go to. But book Benedict, it literally says, just want to say again, this is how good I am about receipt keeping. I have all the receipts and the facts here. It says... He had never had any interest in copulating in such a public manner. I don't know how we're going to reconcile orgy party Benedict from the show to this Benedict. But, um, yeah, I prefer book Benedict in this matter. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. So he goes off to try and leave. But he's like, you know, I'm my mother drilled it into me to have good manners. So he goes off to find this Cavender, Philip Cavender, um, to, get, to be like, I'm getting out of here. Uh, when he comes across Philip, along with several of Philip's friends, taunting none other than Sophie Beckett. Sophie has been working for Cavender's parents. They are out of town. That's why Cavender is having this party. And Sophie has already been like, you know what? I need to leave here. She's been working for them for two years and they are great. He, on the other hand, is a predator and he's been trying to get to Sophie for two years. But with his parents around all the time, he, you know, there's never been any true danger. But now... With this house party and his parents not around, she's like, I got to get out of here. Otherwise, something bad's going to happen. As she's leaving, he is very drunk. He finds her, drags her along to this, like, secluded area outside by a tree. Several of his friends show up and they're, like, all going back and forth about it. Benedict shows up. Okay, like, here's a good point. Here's a good point for Benedict. I'm telling you, there's lots of good things that stack up here before we start taking away here, okay? So Benedict, it says he had never been particularly enamored by playing the hero, but he had far too many younger sisters, four to be exact, to ignore any female in distress. Benedict's like, let her go. And they're like, oh, now she's enjoying it. And he's like, she's not for me. She's not enjoying it for me. So let her go. And he, you know, Philip's like, well, I'll have her fired. And Benedict's like, okay, well, I'll ask her if that's fine. And she's like, yeah, I'd rather be fired. Like, I, I don't want to have a, I, no, I don't want any of this to happen. And he's like, all right, you know, let's go. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Um, And at one point though, Benedict's like, let her go. I just want you to know the three to one here doesn't scare me. Like... <laughs> Because, you know, he's got brothers and he fences and rides and all of this. Like, yeah, we just, I'm telling you, Benedict, good things stack up here. Um, So Cavender's like, you can't just take her. And Benedict's like, I just did. Cavender says, you'll be sorry you did this. Benedict says, 
I love this. I doubt it. Now get out of my sight. <laughs> we love it. So he's like, all right, Sophie, get your stuff. She's like, all right, I got it right here. And everything's in one bag. I mean, poor Sophie. They get into his phaeton, which is an open carriage, to go to my cottage, aka his cottage, which is a country house that it was gifted to him that he owns. And it starts raining. Benedict had already been sick before this house party. As it's raining, he's kind of, it's kind of getting worse. He starts coughing again. Um, but he keeps looking at Sophie. And at one point he asked Sophie, like, are you okay? Because she's just sitting there like, okay, when's he going to realize that it's me? He doesn't realize that it's her. Which, to be fair for Benedict, sort of, in this one exact moment, she notes that she had to cut her hair off to sell it for a wig to make money. I just, I mean, it just breaks my heart. Um, I mean, hair grows back, but like, and because she hasn't really been properly fed by Mrs. Gibbons, the housekeeper at the Pinwood estate, that she has lost a stone or, or two stone, but, which is, I think it's 15 pounds. Um, so her hair is short now. She's lost weight. She's, you know, dressed obviously completely different. So, like, in a way, I get that he doesn't recognize that it's her. But, like, how? How do they not recognize the voice? This is what... I'm just, like, I'm really good. I have an elephant memory. I... I couldn't be me. Could not be me. Anyway. Um... They're, they're getting back in the rain and she, you know, the shock takes over of what almost could have just happened. And she thanks him. And I love this. He says, I would like to think another man would come to their aid. Because he's like, well, I have four sisters. And she's kind of like, I know. And then she's like, wait, don't say that. And, uh, but he says, I would like to think another man would come to their aid should they ever find themselves in a similar situation. I do love, <laughs> that's so sweet. Anyway, they get to the cottage. He just pretty much just takes a complete turn for the worse, gets a fever, goes kind of loopy. And Sophie, you know, basically kind of helps him get undressed, basically. And she's like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is not good because no one else is here. I mean, he's completely out of it, though. And she gets him into bed and she's like, I'm going to leave the door open. Call me if you need me. And she hears him in the middle of the night thrashing around. He's got a fever dream. And in this fever dream, at one point, he gets to a point and he says, kiss me. And she's like, what? And he's like, kiss me. And she's like, I, yeah, no. He's like, kiss me, damn it. So she kisses him because she's like, well, okay, I mean, what's it really going to hurt? He's he's completely out of it. Um, and she stays with him that night to make sure that he's okay because now she's just completely rattled by this and she's like, please don't die. <laughs> During that night though, as she's looking around his room, because now she's like, okay, well now I'm awake, what am I going to do? She comes across his sketchbook. She, she opens it, she's looking through it. Who should she find? 
but sketches of herself. He has been drawing her over and over and over again as the mystery woman from the Masquerade Ball because he has been looking for her for two years. He has remained unmarried. He has gone to all of the parties because he's been looking for her. Okay, anyway, I mean, like, you would think, I mean, you're listening to this right now, and you're like, okay, it sounds like you really like him, and I, and I do, but also, also, though, it's coming, it's coming. Anyway, the next morning, the caretakers, the the crab trees show back up, they're like, uh, what's happening here? <laughs> Benedict is still fairly sick. He's he's much more lucid than he was, though. And they're trying to explain the situation. Sophie's like, I'll move to the servants' quarters. Look, can I? And he's like, she is not a servant. She is to be treated as a guest. <laughs> Please bring her a tray of food, too. Like, <laughs> all of this. And Sophie's like, but I'm not a guest. Like, her whole thing is just like, I'm not a guest. I'm sorry. He's like, you are not a servant here. You are not a servant to me. You will not be treated as a servant under this roof. Like, anyway. So they end up arguing about employment because she's, he's like, well, what are you going to do today? Like, you have all this free time because you're not working right now. You're not a servant. You're not going to do anything. She's like, well, you know, I thought I would um, get dressed and then go into town to see if anyone needs work. And he's like, I already told you I was going to get you a job at my mother's house. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, and she's thinking, I cannot work for Violet because I cannot be around you every day and not be with you. But he, he, you know, obviously doesn't know this at the time. And he's like, this is not a discussion that we're having. I told you I was going to find you employment with my mother. End of. Don't even think about trying to go find another job. And as they're, as she's leaving, he's like, well, what are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know. Maybe go read a book. And he, he's like, okay, well, go have fun. And um, she gets to the door and he says something. And he's like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And she has, she has a spoon in her hand. And he's like, yeah, I knew you weren't going to throw that. And she says, are you this charming with everyone or only me? And he says, oh, only you. You do bring out the best in me. And she says, this is the best? And he says, oh, I'm afraid so. And then she ends up, it's like she didn't even realize it. And she just snatches her hand out and throws the spoon at him. And he, she just leaves in a huff. And he's like, you're like, good aim, good job. And you're like, I love this. You're like, there's way too many pages left in this book. And I don't understand why, because we could just end this right here and now. There are so many pages left in this book because... Benedict is about to say, like, the sweetest things possible and then, um, like, bookend them with really, really terrible decisions being made. So, I mean, this is where it comes in where I'm like, yeah. Anyway, about a week goes by. Benedict realizes that, you know, it's not so bad being sick. He gets to lay around. He can sleep when he wants. He gets to eat great food. He gets to do some painting and some drawing and reading. Everything's great. And he realizes that Sophie brings him a piece that he has not felt basically since Masquerade Girl. And probably, you know, really just in general. He just has this inner peace now because of her. And she then comes knocking on his door with tea. 
and he asked her to have tea too at this point they each know how like each other takes their tea and they're sitting and talking and everything and he realizes in this moment that like he that he likes her and she offers to read him some uh poetry because all of a sudden he's just very restless because he's like oh no and uh She's reading and he's just sitting there thinking like, how can I burn her ugly clothes? They're so hideous. But then she'd have to not be wearing them. And she catches the fact that he's not listening. He's like, oh, no, it's I'm, I'm really sorry. She goes back to it. And then he's just watching her lips. And then he's like, if I don't get out of here, if she doesn't leave. Or if I don't get out of here, like things are going to happen. And <laughs> so he has to get rid of her. Then he takes off to go swimming in a lake or a pond or a river or something or other body of water sophie meanwhile goes to talk to mrs crabtree she's like i don't understand like he just just had this like really random outburst and i don't know what's going on and mrs crabtree's like well do you know where he is because he's not in his room and sophie's like yes he is i was just there and mrs crabtree's like well he's not now uh you know someone should go look for him and sophie's like well I think if he wanted to be found, we'd find him. Like, I'm sure he's fine. So Sophie's like, well, I don't have anything else to do. I guess I'll take a walk. She happens across Benedict swimming naked. And she's like, I I should go. This is wrong. I should leave. (laughs) But she's, she's just standing there. And Benedict has this moment, again, like right at the masquerade ball, right before he turns around and sees Sophie for the first time, that he just he feels something is about to change. And he knows. It says he just knew that his life was about to change. He turns around. He doesn't see anyone, though. But then he realizes, like, that it's got to be Sophie. So he's like, Sophie Beckett, show yourself right now. If you don't, I will be compelled to get out of this water and chase after you. And I will not get my clothes on. (laughs) And then the walking slows down and he's like, and I might tackle you. (laughs) just to make sure you don't leave. And then she finally stops and he's like, show yourself. (laughs) She comes out and she's like, look, I'm thoroughly embarrassed. I was not following you. I promise it just, this just happened. Let me leave. He's like, no, no, no. Let me get dressed and like, let's talk. So he gets out, he gets dressed and, and she's like, can I, can I leave? Like, can I get out of here? They're sparring back and forth because the, the electricity is there. Like the the spark is there and then he looks at her and he says you're so pretty like a storybook fairy sometimes I think you couldn't possibly be real and he says I think I'm gonna kiss you and she says you think and he says I think I have to it's kind of like breathing one doesn't have much say in the matter and you're like oh that's so cute and you're like this is great because your mother has literally said you could marry a pauper if that would make you happy right then he tries to seduce her, you know, in the middle of the, just in middle of forest and nature and God above. And he says all the wrong things. He's like, I'll dress you in the finest silks. I'll buy you a house. I'll give you everything you want. Just be mine. Be mine today. Be mine tomorrow. And look, the be mine today, be mine tomorrow, I burn for you. Like, that's great and all. I guess, no, he doesn't say I burn for you yet. That comes later. And, um, like, that's great. But 
she's she's just like, no, I can't do this because this is what happened to her mother and that's how Sophie came to be. And then, you know, she was raised just with an indifference from her father and then her father married just a terribly cruel woman. Sophie's Sophie can't go through that. So she's like, I can't. And like, now can I leave? Now can I go get my stuff? And he's like, do you have any idea what it's like for a woman out there alone? And she's like, uh, yes, actually I do. That line absolutely took me out. Like, I just loved this, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I understand what it's like to be a woman in the world alone, uh, cause I am one. Um, and he's like, you're foolish. This is stupid. Um, don't be my mistress. Fine. But you're still going to come. You're still going to work for my mother. I, I've already said this and this is what's happening. And they go back to the house and he's trying to rationalize like why, why she just wouldn't become his mistress. And then he kind of thinks, oh, maybe she's illegitimately born. Maybe that's it. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care if you're an illegitimately born child. It doesn't matter. I will like, I'll provide for any of our children that we have. And it's like, Benedict, why, why, why? Your mother literally said two years ago that you could marry a pauper if that would make you happy. So why are you pushing this agenda of being your mistress when, when she clearly doesn't want to do that? She clearly doesn't want to do that. But then he says, I just Wait, this is one of the sweetest things. So he, um, he, like, she tries to go past him and, and he grabs her by the hand and she says, let me go. And he says, I can't let you go. You're not cut out for a life of servitude. It will kill you. If it were going to kill me, she returned, it would have done so years ago. But you don't have to do this any longer, he persisted. Don't you dare try to make this about me. You're not doing this out of concern for my welfare. You just don't like being thwarted. This is true, he admitted, but I also won't see you cast adrift. I have been adrift all my life, she whispered, and she felt the traitorous sting of tears prick her eyes. God above, she didn't want to cry in front of this man. Not now, not when she felt so off balance and weak. He touched her chin. Let me be your anchor. <laughs> Oh, God. Like, I mean, if we could... God. Benedict. Like, full stop. If we could have just, right then and there, said, let me be your anchor and marry me. Like, but no. But no! I I tell you, it was... I just love that line. It's so cute, but it just infuriates me. So then, and she says, I can't, I wish. And he says, what do you wish? And she doesn't say anything. And he says, you leave me to a choice then. Either you come with me to London and I will find you a position in my mother's household, or she asked, or I will have to inform the magistrate that you have stolen from me. You wouldn't, she whispered. I certainly don't want to, but you would. He nodded. I would. They'd hang me or send me to Australia, she said. Not if I requested otherwise. And what would you request? His brow, brown eyes looked strangely flat and she suddenly realized that he wasn't enjoying the conversation any more than she was. I would request, he said, that you be released into my custody. That would be very convenient for you. 
His fingers, which had been touching her chin all the while, slid down to her shoulder. I'm only doing this, or I'm only trying to save you from yourself. And she says, you're making me hate you, you know. She said, I can live with that. And then as she walked away, he said to himself, I can live with you hating me. I just can't live without you. Like, okay, then just marry her. Just marry her. We could stop this book right here and now just to marry her. They make it to number five, Brunton Street. She gets introduced to Violet. Violet's like, absolutely, I'll give you a job. Thank you for saving my son's life. She's like, I really didn't do that much. I just need to point this out really quickly. This is his relationship with Eloise. I love this. I loved their relationship in season one. I feel like they pulled this from basically his book here. And I love this. So Eloise comes in and... Uh, she says, uh, where have you been? Mother's been grumbling all week, wondering where you've gone off to. Funny, when I spoke to Mother not two minutes ago, he, her grumbles were about you wondering when you were finally planning to marry. Eloise pulled a face. When I meet someone worth marrying, that's when. <laughs> Which, by the way, I just love. So anyway, they're speaking and he's like, I was at this awful party and yeah, I had to get out of there and and she says, why was the party so dreadful? The company. A more boring bunch of lazy louts I've never met. As long as you don't mince words. Benedict raised a brow at her sarcasm. You are hereby forbidden from marrying anyone who was in attendance. In order, I shall probably have no difficulty obeying. She tapped her hands against the arms of her chair. Benedict had to smile. Eloise had always been a bundle of nervous energy. But that doesn't explain where you were all week. Has anyone ever told you that you're exceedingly nosy? Oh, all the time. Where were you? And persistent, too. It's the only way to be. Where were you? Have I mentioned I'm considering investing in a company that manufactures human-sized muscles? She threw a pillow at him. Where were you? As it happens, the answer isn't the least bit interesting. I was at my cottage recuperating from a nasty cold. I thought you'd already recuperated. He regarded her with an expression that was an unlikely cross between amazement and distaste. How do you know that? I know everything. You should know that by now. Colds can be so nasty. Did you have a setback? He nodded after driving in the rain. Well, that wasn't very smart of you. Is there any reason, he asked, why I am allowing myself to be insulted by my ninny hammer of a younger sister? Probably because I do it so well. <laughs> oh, I like their relationship. Is so cute. I love it. I really do. Investigative Violet shows up. She gets back downstairs. She's like, all right, Benedict, tell me who she is. He's like, I don't know. I wish I knew. <laughs> wish I knew. She's like, don't worry. I'll figure this out in a month. She's like, look, she speaks way too well. She's reading Francesca's French books. Her mannerisms are great. Like, she's definitely not just a servant's child. Uh, this is not happening. I'll figure it out. The next morning, I absolutely love this. It says, by the following morning, Sophie had met five of Benedict's seven siblings. Eloise, Francesca, and Hyacinth all still lived with their mother. Anthony had stopped by with his young son for breakfast, and Daphne, who was now the Duchess of Hastings, had been summoned to help Lady Bridgerton plan the end of the season ball. The only Bridgertons Sophie hadn't met were Gregory, who was off at Eton, and Colin, who was, in Anthony's words, God knows where. I mean, if you can't just see... <laughs> You can't just see that. Anyway, Benedict shows up also for breakfast and Sophie's like, don't you have your own house? He's like, yeah, but you know, my mom tells me I should come here whenever I want. 
They share yet another um, moment in the garden. They're out there. And at one point, he's like, your book's upside down. She looks down at it and she goes, no, it's not. And he goes, but you still had to look at it, didn't you? <laughs> I love him. <laughs> I mean, he's an idiot, but I, I still love him. Um, So he again, once again, he's like come back with me. Just come with, come with me. And she's like, no. And she says, don't make this any harder than it has to be. And he loses it. And he says, you think this isn't hard? I burn for you. I lie awake at night and I wonder why you are here with my mother of all people and not with me. So I think this is actually the last book though, that contains the iconic, I burn for you phrase. Um, I feel like the writers, if this show gets season after season after season, we're going to have to find ways to make everyone say it because it's iconic. Um, but like, honestly, read the context clues, Benedict. Read, read the context clues. That's all I have for you. He then doesn't show up for a week. He's like, he feels like he's wearing her down. And then he just doesn't show up for a week. Sophie is having tea. So she's been having tea every day with uh, the ladies. I just, I just love it. I really do. Like, even if I weren't of nobility, I would just want to work for Violet. I really would. She's just, she just seems like the best person ever. Um, So they're sitting there having tea and Hyacinth is like, where is Benedict? Sophie, um, uh, perks herself with the needle because she's working on embroidery and Violet knows. <laughs> and they're, they're speaking. And Hyacinth's like, mother has told you a hundred thousand times. And Francesca's like a hundred thousand. And Hyacinth's like, okay, she's told you a hundred times that you don't have to bring your embroidery to tea. Like, why do you do this? And they're speaking Here's what's going on. And then Hyacinth once again says, where is Benedict? And Violet says, well, it has been a week. Sophie stabs herself again. And Violet then just holds the teacup over her face for Sophie notices a rather long time. Who should walk in? His ears must have been burning. Benedict shows up. <laughs> Sophie immediately gets up. She's like, I gotta go get a thimble. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go to my room, uh, and I'm gonna have to go get a thimble downstairs. And Hyson's like, upstairs, you mean? And Sophie's like, yeah, that's what I said. And Hyson's like, no, you didn't. You said downstairs. And Violet's like, no, she said upstairs. Sophie's like, oh, no, she knows, because I know I said the wrong thing, and then now she's just lied for me. She walks past Benedict, and it's like, yeah, go get your thimble, coward. And, uh, and the undercurrents, the undercurrents. They're not even undercurrents at this point. They're just, it's like full sparks of electricity. Anyway, she realizes she's going the wrong way. <laughs> Benedict's like, oh, have you lost your way? She's like, no, I'm, I'm leaving. He's like, to buy a thimble? She's like, yes, I'm leaving the house to go buy a thimble. She just opens up the door to, and just leaves just to get away from him because she's like, I, I can't think. But she gets outside and she nearly runs into Armenta. She catches Armenta just um outside on the street and just is frozen in terror. Benedict meanwhile is inside and he's like, well, okay, I don't really want to be here. And 
And he's thinking, okay, well, like, can I leave? I wonder how far away she's gotten to. I love this. I say, Eloise practically hollered, I was just wondering, Eloise, lower your voice, Lady Bridgerton interjected, but he's not listening. If he's not listening, Violet said, then shouting isn't going to get his attention. Throwing a scone might work, Hyacinth suggested. Hyacinth, don't you dare... But Hyacinth had already lobbed the scone. Benedict ducked out of the way. Barely a second before, it would have bounced off the side of his head. He looked first to the wall, which now bore a slight smudge where the scone had hit, then to the floor where it had landed remarkably in one piece. I believe that is my cue to leave, he said smoothly, shooting a cheeky smile at his youngest sister. Her airborne scone had given him just the excuse he needed to duck out of the room and see if he could trail Sophie to wherever it was she thought she was going. But you just got here, his mother pointed out. Benedict immediately regarded her with suspicion. Unlike her usual moans of, but you just got here, she didn't sound the least bit upset at his leaving, which meant she was up to something. I could stay, he said, just to test her. Oh no, she said, lifting her teacup. Don't let us keep you busy. Benedict fought to school his features into an impassive expression, or at least to hide his shock. The last time he'd been informed by his mother that he was busy, she had answered with, too busy for your mother. His first urge was to declare, I'll stay, and park himself in a chair, but he had just enough presence of mind to realize that staying to thwart his mother was rather ridiculous when what he really wanted to do was leave. I'll go then, he said slowly, backing toward the door. Go, she said, shooing him away. Enjoy yourself. Benedict decided to leave the room before she managed to befuddle him any further. He reached down, scooped up the scone, gently tossing it to Hyacinth, who caught it with a grin. He then nodded at his mother and sisters and headed out into the hall, reaching the stairs, just as he heard his mother say, I thought he'd never leave. Very odd indeed. No, it's not. No, it's not. Your mother is a genius. Your mother is smart. Your mother deserves all of the credit in the world, you big dumb dumb. He gets outside He's just, like, ready to go charging down the street. Of course, he has no idea which way Sophie went. But he sees that she is just frozen in terror up against the wall, like, in this alley. And he's like, what's the matter? What's going on? Uh, And she's like, oh, nothing. I tripped down a stair. And, you know, I just, I'm just just in this moment. And he's like, we'll come back to my house. I live five houses down. Like, everything's going to be fine. I promise I won't do anything. Uh, so she's like, okay, they go back. And then this is when he realizes that he loves her, which again, you could just marry her. You could just marry her. In the words of Colin in Francesca's book, sorry, spoiler alert, you know, you could just marry her. Anyway, anyway, they end up, you know, and he thinks he's one. He's like, okay, I'll go have someone get your stuff. And she's like, what? No, no. Like this is just, it's just not going to happen again. And you know, that was a one-time thing and that was a mistake. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Like you can't be serious. And she's like, no, I will not be your mistress. This was a mistake. This isn't happening again. I won't be your mistress. And she leaves. Two weeks now have passed after this moment. Of which I do also just want to point out that while they're having this fight afterwards at his house, he's like, why won't you be with me? And Sophie's like, I will not have an illegitimate child. And out just, he's like, well, I'll take care of any children that we have. This is as stupid as Anthony being like, oh, Sienna, let's get married because I'm a Viscount and my sister is a duchess. No one's going to say anything. 
why our men? Anyway, so two weeks have now gone by. Benedict has just stayed far away. And they're, they're, okay, first there's this moment they're having tea. Daphne is also there. And the girls are, Hyacinth's like, well, I really need help with math homework. And Benedict's the only one. Daphne's like, oh, you really should ask Simon anyway. He's so much better at numbers. And Hyacinth's like, oh, well, I really don't need Benedict around at all. Ha ha ha. They're laughing. Sophie's like, well, no, he can draw. He's, he's really good at painting and drawing. No one knew this. Sophie did not know this. You know, she's given it up at this point. And, you know, Violet, investigative Violet on the case. Um, so then there's the second T, 14 days later, you know, more than 14 days have gone by. Penelope is also there. Penelope's like, do I know you? Sophie's already very rattled. Hyacinth is watching some cousins and Hyacinth's like, Sophie, can you help me watch them? You're just so much better with children. And Francesca's like, well, how would you know? Like, she hasn't been around any kids. Um. I love Francesca. Anyway, Benedict is there to speak to Violet and he runs into Anthony and Colin that are also there. We're going to talk about this in Colin's book. Um, but he goes to talk to Violet and he says, like, how did you know with father? Like, how did you know? And she's like, I just knew. I, I knew the moment that I looked at him. And Violet's like trying to suss it out here. And then she says, should you decide to join your life with someone not of our class, I will, of course, support you in every possible manner. Benedict looked up sharply. There were very few women of the town who would say the same to their sons. You are my son, she said simply. I would give my life for you. Like, marry her. Marry Sophie. Get it over with. Everyone knows. So anyway, he's, he's finally, like you know, maybe I'll just marry her. When Eloise is like, oh, hey, you know, Hyacinth was looking for you. Um, You should go upstairs because um, she's looking for you. And he's like, I don't really want She's like, no, no, she's really looking for you because they're all trying to help. They're trying to help. He goes upstairs. Meanwhile, Sophie, who's been helping with the children, is blindfolded because they're playing a game. It's in this moment when he gets to the door and looks through the door and sees her with her eyes blindfolded, so her face is half covered. Lightning strikes twice, folks. Congratulations, Benedict. You finally have caught on to the plot line here. Like, it wasn't that her hair, although shorter, still looks the same. Not that her voice is the same, or the kissing, or the fact that you were just, you just felt that same electric energy as you did with her. Not those weren't it. None of that was it for you. You couldn't figure it out. All all you had to do was just cover half her face and you're like, ah, it's the masquerade girl. Thank you. Finally, why are men? Why are men? Anyway, he is apoplectic. I mean, he is beside himself because he's like, how could you not tell me? I have looked for you for two years. You are the only person that I've wanted to marry you're all I've thought about. Like, I thought I was basically cheating on you with you. <laughs> like, how, how could you keep this from me? And she's like, I am nobody. I am a nobody. I wasn't even supposed to be there. I am a nobody. I cannot be with you. You are the one that won't let me go. Like, I am trying. I didn't even, I didn't want to work here. I didn't want to be here. You gotta let me go. And he leaves. 
he just he he's like i i can't be here right now and he just leaves sophie packs her bags she's trying to leave violet's like no like let's use one of my carriages like that's the least i can do but then violet's also like you are the sort of woman that i would wish for my son like she's still trying to figure out who she is and she's trying to help out here but sophie walks outside and araminta is there posy has seen sophie and unfortunately lets it slip to her mother and Armenta's like, that's the girl that stole my shoes, arrest her. And Sophie is arrested and taken off to prison before Violet can come outside, before the carriage can show up. And Sophie's like, that's it. They're, they, they're just never going to know. They're never going to know where I went. Nothing. Like, this is it. This is it for me. The next morning, Benedict shows up to go fencing with Colin and he's just in He's just in a foul mood. And Colin's like, I just, I love this. I, I, I am making merchandise saying, uh, Colin's matchmaking services because we just love this. So Colin is like, well, can I give you some advice on women? And he's like, no, they're fencing back and forth. And Colin says, I was foolish. We're going to talk about this later. You, on the other hand, are stupid. What does that mean? Colin sighed as he pushed up his mask. Why don't you just do us all a favor and marry the girl? Benedict just stared at him, his hands going limp around the handle of a sword. Was there any possibility that Colin didn't know who they were talking about? He removed his mask and looked at his brother's dark green eyes and nearly groaned. Colin knew. He didn't know how Colin knew, but he definitely knew. How did you know, Benedict? finally asked. One corner of Colin's mouth tilted up into a crooked smile. About Sophie? It's rather obvious. Colin, she's a maid? Who cares? What's gonna happen to you if you marry her? Colin asked with a devil-may-care shrug of his shoulders. People you couldn't care less about will ostracize you? Hell, I wouldn't mind being ostracized by some of the people with whom I'm forced to socialize. Benedict shrugged dismissively. I'd already decided I didn't care about all that, he said. Then what in bloody hell is the problem, Colin demanded. <laughs> like, we love an uncomplicated man. Um, so then Benedict's like, hey, do you remember Masquerade Girl? And Colin's like, yeah. Oh, I get it now. Then Benedict finally gets it. It says he was still furious with Sophie for her deception, but neither was he without blame. He shouldn't have demanded that Sophie be his mistress. It had certainly been his right to ask, but it had also been her right to refuse. And once she had done so, he should have let her be. Thank you. Then it says if he respected her, then he had to respect her beliefs. He shouldn't have been so flip with her, insisting that anything was possible, that she was free to make any choices her her heart desired. His mother was right. He did live a charmed life. He had wealth, family, happiness, and nothing was truly out of his reach. The only awful thing that had ever happened in his life was the sudden and untimely death of his father, and even then, he'd had his family to help him through. It was difficult for him to imagine certain pains and hurts because he'd never experienced them, and unlike Sophie, he had never been alone. Like... You. This is the only reason that I can still love Benedict is for this. 
like, thank God you finally figured it out. Took you long enough, but you got there in the end and like, that's what we really needed. So he's thinking about all of this and he finally realizes that he loves her. And Colin says, you look as if you've reached a decision. Benedict eyed his brother thoughtfully. When had he grown so perceptive? Come to think of it, when had he grown up? Benedict had always thought of Colin as youthful, rascal, charming, and debonair, but not one who had ever had to assume any sort of responsibility. But when he regarded his brother now, he saw someone else. His shoulders were a little broader, his posture a little more steady and subdued, and his eyes looked wiser. That was the biggest change. If eyes truly were the windows to the soul, then Colin's soul had gone and grown up on him when Benedict hadn't even been paying attention. I owe her a few apologies, Benedict said. I'm sure she'll forgive you. She owes me several as well. More than several. Benedict could tell that his brother wanted to ask what for, but to his credit, all Colin said was, are you willing to forgive her? Benedict nodded. Colin reached out and plucked Benedict's foil from his hands. I'll put this away for you. I have to go, Benedict blurted out. Colin barely suppressed again a grin. I surmised as much. Benedict stared at his brother, and then for no other reason than an overwhelming urge, he reached out and pulled him into a quick hug. I don't say this often, he said, but I love you. I love you too, big brother. Colin's smile, always a little bit lopsided, grew. Now get the hell out of here. Benedict tossed his mask at his brother and strode out of the room. Like... (laughs) We love that. We love that. Benedict gets there and realizes that no one knows where Sophie is. He's like, how could you let her go? And Violet says, look, I tried my best, okay? Don't worry, though. The girls come in and they say, hey, we know where Sophie is. She's in jail. Whistledown is written about her. I mean, honestly, we have to love Penelope for this. Thank you, Penelope. You have saved this relationship. Benedict and Violet rush off to the jail. He punches a couple of guards. He says, get her out of here right now. And then Araminta shows up and the showdown between her and Violet is epic. It's like a tennis match. You're just going back and forth and back and forth. You're like, who's going to win? Although you know who's going to win. Araminta says, like, oh, you'll never be invited anywhere in town again. And Violet says, I'm more liked than you are, which is true. <laughs> I just love that line. And Araminta is just in a huff about it. Posey shows up and she says, hey, why don't you actually tell the whole truth, mom? There is a dowry. He did leave money for her. I saw the will. You really shouldn't leave important matters like this. You're like in your tabletop drawer or wherever it was. <laughs> Violet then goes into, oh, have, oh, you didn't pay her? Oh, she didn't get her dowry? Hey, Benedict, how far away is our lawyer? He's like, oh, you know, I could probably get him here in a half hour. Oh, okay, well, you know, I, we might need Araminta arrested. Araminta immediately says, like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Let's think about it here. And Violet says, look, we don't need your money. My son wants to marry her. All we need for you to do is to say that Sophie was his ward. That's all you have to do. Araminta says, like, I'm not going to lie for her. And Violet says, oh, well, mm, yeah, mm, should we call the lawyer? Like, we can get the lawyer over here. Uh, 
you know, can we, can we get the handcuffs back out? And Armenta finally says, fine. I'm, I won't just give this information out, but if people ask me about her, I'll just say that she was his ward. Bella says, okay, great, wonderful, that everything's settled, we're all good here. Sophie looks at Posey and is just thinking, man, her life is already miserable. It's just going to get worse. So she says, hey, Posey, your mom's the worst. Um, Do you want to come live with us? And then Sophie kind of talks to Violet like, hey, is it okay uh, that I did this? And Violet looks at Posey and says, you know, it's fine. You can you can stay with us for however long you need. Araminta is literally the worst. First, she's like, absolutely not. This isn't happening. And then she looks at Posey and she says, if you leave here, don't ever come back. And then she tells Violet, well, good luck. Like, you're going to be stuck with her for life because she's overweight and nobody wants her. Just the worst. Violet just adopts Posey, basically. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so sweet. And, you know, they leave and everything's great. And then, you know, the rest is just happily ever after. They oh, they get married. It's super cute ending the first epilogue. They're just living their life. And he has some paintings in the National Gallery. We love it. And then the second epilogue from the Bridgertons happily ever after is about Posey getting married. And I just... Julia Quinn really gave us a world... She gave us she gave us a family and she gave us a world and she gave us all of these extra people and these backstories and it's it's just it's I love it. I really do. Um yeah. Once again, not a short podcast. I can't help it. I try. <laughs> anyway. Now I'm sitting here thinking, how on earth am I going to put Colin Eloise and Francesca into one podcast? I don't know. We'll see. We'll get there though. Until next week, remember there are no bad hair days. I will see you guys next time.